This is Tuned Into the Land, the California Rangeland Trust podcast. Here, we will dig into a variety of topics with the partners, conservationists, and ranchers who demonstrate every day, through their words and actions, the importance of conserving California's working lands. Tune in each month to learn more about our mission and how you can get involved in preserving the future of the Golden State for generations to come. Welcome to another episode of Tune In to the Land. I am your host, CEO of California Rangeland Trust, Michael Delbar. This is our fourth episode. If you have listened to our previous three, you heard about the history of the Rangeland Trust, the immense value of the ecosystem services provided by our ranching partners, and just what is a conservation easement. In our second podcast, you had a chance to meet one of our amazing staff here at the Rangeland Trust, Jackie Flatt. Jackie is our conservation director, and she talked about conservation easements and what they are and what they aren't. This time, I get to introduce you to another amazing staff member, Shannon Foucault. Shannon is our development director, and Shannon is here with us today. Hello. Nice to be here. Part of your duties are to raise funds as the development director, and funding for our conservation easements traditionally have come from public funds, state funds and federal funds. However, we're doing more and more projects that count on support from the private sector. Shannon, can you tell us what role the private sector funding plays in accomplishing our goal? Yes, of course. So private funding is a fairly new program to the organization. As you said, we did for a long time rely and, and still get most of our funding from government agencies. That, uh, that support conservation work. Um, but a few years ago, the organization wanted to you know, look at how can, you know, what are our other options for helping to advance our, our core mission? So we started um, a program called Adopted Projects that would give our community the opportunity to be involved directly in our conservation efforts. Um, normally, we had just asked for general support of our work, uh, and which, you know, our community was, you know, amazing about supporting us every year. And but when we, we lifted up this opportunity to say, hey, we have some direct conservation opportunities, you know, basically, we, we need your help. Um, and so we were, were building this program you know, for those opportunities, you know, to conserve that may not have been a higher priority, high priority for, you know, the government agencies, either the projects were too small, or, um, you know, didn't have the development pressures, or stiff competition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, by going to our community, we could really reach some of those projects that were, you know, considered more difficult to fund. And, you know, we could hopefully make some things come true for um, for those landowners. So we, we worked with our legacy council back in 2018 and talked to them about, hey, this is what we want to do. You are our volunteer community, boots on the ground, you know, letting us know, you know, giving, helping us understand what's possible. Um, so they went out and toured a few ranches um, and they recommended one to us. And we, you know, kind of looked through and kind of, you know, figured out what what was possible with this ranch and said all right let's let's go for it so in 2018 we did a fundraising campaign to conserve the rockfront ranch 
Uh, we had a challenge grant from a local uh, foundation in the area. This is down on the Central Coast. And it was just a tremendous response. We had over 200 donors, you know, step up and be part of, of raising $500,000 to conserve this 314-acre ranch. Um, so it was incredible. And the, the response, people were, you know, very appreciative of being able to be, you know, part of one of these projects. They would come to us and say, hey, you know, we, we are here to support you in any way you can, but this was really special being able to be part of this and and thank you for giving us this opportunity. So we you know cel- or celebrated that conservation closing in in 2020. So you know in the midst of the pandemic we had some good news to share with um, all these people who had stepped up to support the Rockfront Ranch conservation. And um, later that year we had another project that you know had some agency funding but needed some um, some match. And so, you know, our conservation team came to us and said, hey, can you help? Yeah, well, we'll see what we can do. We're in the middle of a pandemic, but why not? We've got amazing supporters. <laughs> and so we did. We, we lifted up this project. Um, this was the Bloom Ranch in Tuolumne County. And um, yeah, in the middle of a pandemic, our supporters stepped up and, and helped us raise the funding to match the agency grant. And that project will be closed a little later this year. So it's it's been a really incredible, you know, exchange with our community to get them involved in these projects. We actually have a third one that we did some private fundraising for at our big gala in October. And that was the Bufford Ranch in Kern County. Uh, a new amendment to that easement, adding on some additional acreage, and the community came together in one night and made that project happen. That is an incredible show of support. So the Rockfront Ranch is a neighbor to the Spanish Ranch in the Kiama Valley. We've now recently embarked on our fourth adoptive project, and that is the Spanish Ranch. What similarities do you see between the fundraising effort between the Spanish Ranch and the Rockfront Ranch? So the Spanish Ranch was actually one of the ranches that the Legacy Council visited, um, you know, back in 2017 when we were initially looking at the adopted project program, um, and they visited um, Spanish Ranch alongside Rockfront, um, and then ultimately because it was our first time out, and Rockfront um, is a you know 314 acre, whereas um, the Spanish Ranch is over 5,000 acres, so it's a much bigger project. Um, you know, a lot more, you know, uh, funds needed to be raised for that for Spanish Ranch. And so we kind of needed to see what was possible first. So that's why we started with the rock front. I mean, the, the Kayama Valley is such an incredible area. Um, I mean, these ranches stand on either end of the valley, rock front at the western end, Spanish at the eastern and and Highway 166 going through the middle. So it's highly trafficked by people, you know, headed from um, you know, Ojai and Ventura and Los Angeles and a lot of that kind of region out to towards the coast. So it gets, gets a lot of traffic. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, really important migratory corridor for a lot of wildlife species. Um, and there's, it's also a really important agricultural corridor and a, a deep history, um, you know, of, of people throughout California's, you know, time, timeline. And there's just, there's so much in the Cuyama Valley. And so we kind of looked at this opportunity where we can, you know, conserve, you know, help work with these ranching partners to 
conserve some really valuable lands in this area. So we, we decided to start with the rock front. Already described what a tremendous success that was. Um, and now we've you know been working with our conservation team and have the opportunity now to raise some matching funds to some agency grants that they are starting to get for that project. So this time we are trying to raise a million dollars um, to help provide that match. And we started with some area foundations and said, hey, you know, we we here's the opportunity in front of us. Um, would love for you to be a part of it. We got a challenge grant from one foundation to challenge the other foundations. And so through that process, we've raised about $650,000. So now we want to, we're, you know, out, we've got, um, asks out to our community and we are, are doing some programming around this and getting the word out so we can close that $350,000 gap and and provide the the support and, and matching support that our conservation team needs for the agency funds so that we can finally move forward and close Spanish Ranch. I have no doubt that you and your team will make that a success. The Spanish Ranch is such a special place with such a rich history. It is important to us at the Rangeland Trust to help protect the ranch so that it can be enjoyed forever. We appreciate Shannon for walking us through the Adopted Project program and wish her and her team luck on meeting that $350,000 goal. To give us a little more background on the ranch, we'd like to welcome our next guest, the owner of the Spanish Ranch, Pam Doran. Pam, like most landowners, is passionate about California's working lands and wants to ensure that her ranch stays the same for generations to come. Between the rich history dating back to the Spanish land grants and the overall diversity of this beautiful property, we here at the Rangeland Trust are excited to play a role in its conservation. With that, we are excited to have our first landowner partner, Pam, joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Pam, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I grew up in Yubisetter County area in a small agricultural community and uh, literally I went to the Little Red Schoolhouse. There were 13 of us country kids that went all the way from kindergarten through high school. So that tells you how small our community was. And I come from a long family of farmers, but no animals. And my family originally came to California in 1855. I spent nearly 15 years in the Bay Area uh, going to university and then working primarily in the biomedical marketing area. But to be honest, I'm not a city girl. I met my husband, moved to Santa Barbara County. We started a family and circumstances allowed us to find our forever home here on the Spanish Ranch. I'm in charge of operations and Dan manages some of the bigger projects. Both Dan and my son, AJ, have engineering backgrounds, which really helps with technical tasks. Our other son, Brendan, is a vet, and I have him on speed dial for questions and emergency with, relations to, with relation to our animals. <laughs> I bet that saves a, a lot of effort and, and cost. Oh, heck no. I just have an ongoing tab. We like to think we pay that forward in, in their education, and it pays dividends later on, but not always the case. So the California Rangeland Trust has over 365,000 acres conserved across the state, and we have the largest presence in the San Luis Obispo County area, with just over 120,000 acres under easement. The Spanish Ranch falls in both San Luis Obispo and Santa Barbara counties. The Cayama Valley is one of the last remaining open spaces in the area. And I know we are excited to work with you. Pam, why don't you give us a layout of the land? I would be happy to. 
The Spanish Ranch covers over 5,600 acres and is the largest surviving parcel of the original Cuyama No. 1 land grant that dates back to 1843. We have five different habitats. About a third of the ranch is chaparral, mostly uh, chamise and scrub oaks. Another third is uh, scrubland with sagebrush, a lot of buckwheat, which makes wonderful honey, by the way. And then about a quarter is grasslands. We have some native grasses, but mostly are non-native introduced species like wild oats and foxtails and, and other cheat grasses, things like that. About another 300 acres could be considered wetlands if we ever had any wet. Uh, we call it our non-riparian areas. And we're in a transverse valley, which means that it runs southeast to northwest. And we're surrounded by the La Panza, the Caliente, and the Sierra Madre mountain ranges. Uh, that puts us in a rain shadow. So our environment is more arid, like the South San Joaquin Valley, than areas in Santa Barbara County that are closer to the coast. On the San Luis Obispo County side, the 900 acres that are north of Highway 166, which divides the, um, the ranch along with the Cuyama River, we're surrounded by the Chimeneas Preserve, which also abuts up to the uh, Carrizo Plains. And the Chimeneas Preserve is comprised of a mosaic of uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife, U.S. Uh, Forest Service, and BLM lands. There are times that we provide a respite to the wildlife that come off of the public lands, especially during hunting season, when there's a lot of uh, public and a lot of pressure on the various species like the elk and the deer and the kit foxes and so forth. We run a seed stock herd of Brangus cattle, bulls and replacement heifers and bred cows, cattle that are 5 eighths Angus and 3 eighths Brahmin. This gives us cattle that are hot, cold, adaptable with excellent meat quality. We use a multi-year rotational grazing plan so we can rest pastures and allow them to recover and not overgraze. Although if we're trying to eliminate an invasive species, we can mob graze at strategic times instead of using sprays and herbicides to eliminate uh, those grasses. There are so many cool aspects of this ranch. It's a beautiful property, but I'm not sure a lot of people understand the history of Spanish land grants. Can you explain a little bit more about the history of, of the land grants and, and the Spanish ranch? Of course. According to local history, Native Americans were here in this valley for thousands of years. The Inland Chumash Rancheria was actually on the Spanish ranch because of the springs and the river and the resources there. Uh, later on, it also became the headquarters of Cuyama No. 1 land grant, like I said, in 1843. The property was sold in 1846. The original, um, the original owner, Mr. Rojo, he died and his wife sold the property into the Areña family. And they actually owned the property for over 150 years, which is truly remarkable for a family to um, have this property for such a long time. We've now been here nearly 25 years. Um, the Spanish Ranch is the northernmost of all the Santa Barbara County land grants. It was originally seven leagues or over 22,000 acres. Um, it's always been in cattle. Cowboys and vaqueros were outdoors until the 1870s when the adobe was built and then modification improvements were made in the 1920s and 1930s. But the major improvements like the corrals, 
um, hay barn, uh, sheds, fencing, and so forth, really came around in the 1960s. And then we started a, a major improvement in 1998 when we acquired the property. And it's always unique. Every day is different. Every day we have new species, every day new challenges. But the idea is to be able to continue to keep this as open space and all of the projects that we do, whether it's improving the water system, whether it's uh, creating fencing that is wildlife friendly, everything has to look forward to the preservation, the conservation of the property long-term, not only for our cattle operation, but also for the wildlife and um, all the species that call this home. This ranch has tremendous value in its history and in the environment, but it also has a tremendous community value and resource. Can you explain to us how the Spanish ranch serves as a community resource and a gathering place? Oh, we have had so much fun. Probably the best part is dealing with the kids. Um, we've had 4-H retreats. We did nine years of 4-H play days where we would have groups, as many as 100 people come out, and we covered everything from animal nutrition. Uh, we hosted an overnighter for the high 4-H kids so that they could work with animals, especially we would try to pick some that were a little ornery, so they would be tested. And we were able to teach them if they could get through this, then the fair was going to be a piece of cake. And it was just such a learning experience, not only for the kids, but for ourselves. Um, we've also been a home for 4-H clubs that haven't had the money to spend on a hotel room during the fair. They were able to come out and stay with us and uh, kind of camp out during, those, during that week. We have been hunting dog trots. We consistently have horseback riding groups, which um, part of their fee for coming, they get to listen to my spiel on the ranch and its history and the species that we try to preserve and care for here, as well as using our rotational grazing and hopefully long-term um, make improvements on the property. We've had Rotary and Kiwanis and other community group tours. Um, egg in the classroom. Boy, that was really fun. We get the third graders from Kuyama Elementary and we hike up behind the house where they can look over the property and we can talk to them about what the land looked like 500 years ago or 100 years ago and how their education at the local school impacts what they do long term. Uh, we've had tours and dinners donated as fundraisers. Uh, Santa Barbara County Cattlewomen, we've done Beef Association Field Days, hiking groups. Oh my gosh, I could just go on and on, but every group is different and we just have so much fun. Those are amazing experiences for folks. You know, we have a number of ranch tours that we've done in the past, bringing out youth, uh, their parents, families, and getting folks out onto the land is such a great experience for some folks. I've never left the confines of the urban area. And to get them out on to, on a working ranch where they can see the livestock, see the wildlife, see all those benefits that are provided by these working ranches is so impressive to them. And we hear constantly how those experiences have really impacted them going forward in their lives. And so what a special place to be able to do that on the Spanish ranch. In fact, we're going to do a tour on the Spanish ranch coming up. And we look forward to it. 
So what brought you to the California Rangeland Trust? You've been involved with us for quite a while. You are a very active community leader. What what draws you to this organization? A lot of people think that ranches just exist and um, the conversion part of that is not really well understood. And it really came home for us over several years. Um, not long after we acquired the ranch, we discovered the county of Santa Barbara had targeted one of our back canyon as a potential garbage dump. We discovered the headwaters of the Cuyama River were being heavily mined for gravel. And downstream, that has major effects on uh, water quality, water quantity, and um, wildlife, those aspects. So we're facing four main factors. Number one, conversion of our rangelands, which is very rarely reversed. We're looking at intensification of local agriculture. We're looking at depletion of resources, especially the water in our overdrafted basin. And what is really remarkable to me, especially when you look at things like the Santa Barbara Blueprint and you look at the database and we see a huge continued fragmentation of open space. And that's a hardship not only for cattle ranchers, but it's a hardship for the wildlife. You end up with less habitable uh, ecosystems for that wildlife. So we see that we're in a unique position with proximity to the national forest, nearby public lands. We can help maintain that open space with wildlife corridors and unique protected habitats forever. There are several groups that are interested in uh, preserving open space, but for us, the best fit was the California Rangeland Trust, something put together by ranchers who understand uh, ranching who understand the ability for ranches to improve habitat, and for and someone who is, and a group that is willing to uh, work with ranchers on a one-on-one -on -one basis, that's just the best of all opportunities for us. So you have some opportunities in regard to intensification to do some development, but you're not pursuing those. Why is protecting the Spanish ranch in perpetuity so important to you and your family? We're committed to conserving this place in perpetuity. We do have springs and wells. We use our springs primarily. Um, it would be really easy to break up the ranch into 100-acre ranchettes, and you know somebody could make a whole lot of money off of that. But we look at the number of threatened and endangered species, species of special concern, everything from um, insects, birds, mammals. Uh, I, I could go on and on and on, but they have to have some place and we want to be that place. We can use our grazing to try to get rid of a lot of these invasive species. We've made huge uh, strides in getting rid of, for example, tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds are an invasive species. They come off of the Russian steppes and a lot of shovel pruning, but using grazing when the plants are small and using uh, other methods, we're able to try to return these grasslands and get the creeping wild rye and the purple needle grasses and those um, the blue oaks and try to preserve a lot of the plant species that help support everything else that's here. You know, you talk about all of the stewardship activities that, that you and your family are doing. And those 
benefit Californians all across the state. Not just you and your family, but everybody receives a benefit from those activities that our landowner partners do on those lands, perpetually conserving them, protecting them, stewarding them. You talked about connectivity with the public lands and the wildlife. That is so important. Those, those critters need homes too. And when they need to be able to move around and by protecting those working ranches and, and a lot of folks see that as open space, but it's not just open space. That is a viable working operation, providing all those ecosystem services. And for those who've listened to our, our last podcast, episode three, learned that those ecosystem services provided by just 306,000 acres of our portfolio account for $1.44 billion in value to Californians every year. That's incredible. And that's due to the, the hard work and passion of landowners like you, Pam. Yeah, thank you. Um, one thing I'd like to point out is that open space, um, benign neglect is not management. And a lot of these spaces require constant observation and active management to maintain uh, water, to watch over these invasive species that come in and take over, to make sure that uh, we serve as an example to other ranches and other areas. And this actually, these activities involve a lot of public parks and other areas that are state parks that are realizing that we can use grazing and livestock management to improve the overall land health, carbon sequestration, better ground cover, better diversity of species in all of our areas. You know, that's absolutely right. And it's amazing, despite all of the impacts that we've seen in California over the last number of years, in terms of just wildfires alone, that there are still folks that don't understand the importance of grazing as a management tool, not just for the health of those of those soils and the health of those grasslands, but the carbon sequestration that 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 improves, as well as the wildfire fuel management. It is such a valuable tool. Yep. Where else can you take uh, an animal and convert vegetation, grasses into a safe, affordable, and healthy food product? It's an amazing tool, and we really need to do more as a state to expand grazing into those areas of, of our public lands. Well, Pam, thank you for taking the time today and joining us for this podcast. We are really looking forward to seeing you on May 21st on the tour of the Spanish Ranch. Uh, for folks listening that would, are interested in seeing the Spanish Ranch themselves and going on this tour, visit our website, rangelandtrust.org, for more information on that tour. Thank you, Pam. Good to see you. Thank you, Michael. And I look forward to having everyone out on the land. We hope you've enjoyed hearing about the amazing Spanish ranch. If you'd like to play a role in helping protect this ranch forever, please check out our website, www.rangelandtrust.org, where you can play a part in protecting the Spanish ranch forever. Next month is Wildfire Prevention Month. So we'll be joined by Dan Macon, Dan is the Livestock and Natural Resources Advisor for the UC Cooperative Extension, covering the counties of Placer, Nevada, Sutter, and Yuba. Dan will discuss targeted grazing and how to better protect the land during this fire season. 
Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button so you'll be notified when the next episode of Tuned In to the Land is released. Thank you for joining us. 